Welcome to Tectonic, episode number 20, otherwise known as 10.10. This is a weekly talk <laughs> no, no, show. No, no, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, I'm sorry. I just... <laughs> what? I, I thought you, uh, you, you messed up there, so I was going to correct you. So I'm, you want I'm me sorry. to go back? <laughs> no, this is going to go on in the show. This oh. is staying in the show now. All right, all right. We can edit this out. There's a few bugs. There's a few bugs in this version. Sorry, guys. Ten point ten. We're really doing this. Okay, the system has crashed. We're going to restart. Welcome to Tectonic, episode number twenty. This is a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology, culture, and the digital age. I am your host, Joe Darnell, and with me is the bug, Mr. Joshua Pfeiffer. How are you doing? <laughs> hey, man, I'm doing well. Just here to keep, just here to keep you straight tonight. Yeah, just I'm, I just got to get you fixed. I'm going to report <laughs> this bug right now. <laughs> uh, with us the, for this episode is Mark Bramhill. Welcome back. Hello, it's good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you. We had you on episode 10, so th- these are bookends. Yeah. Yeah, we've got to create some closure. If you can do something about our bug, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, sure there's some sort of medicine out there to clear that up. Homeopathic podcast medicine? Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps. Pick it up at the counter at your local Best Buy. Ugh. Never mind. Mark, how are you doing? Uh, what are you up to these days? Are you ready for school again? I'm I'm doing really well. Uh, just packing up, ready to head back out to Rice in Houston, Texas. So that'll be that'll be a good long drive through nowhere, Texas. A lot of nowhere, Texas. <laughs> yeah, but you're coming from where now? Why weren't you in Rice all summer long? You know, taking classes, speed <laughs> speed your way through college and get back to the important things like producing more. Welcome to Macintoshes. <laughs> yeah, either either take summer classes and get over it or just drop out and become a, a, a millionaire. <laughs> so do one of the one of the two. There's a, there's no there's no I, in between. I did the third option, which is drag it out. And it's just that's not the way to go. Sipping your bourbon. Just, <laughs> you're biding your time. No, my Mark, what have you been doing lately? I've missed a couple episodes of Welcome to Macintosh. Yeah. The, the, the subscription feed is feeling quite lonely. Yeah. it's. Uh, I've been working on getting stuff ready for season two, been doing some traveling for that, getting a lot of interviews done, trying to plot things out as far into the future as I can get, which is, of course, not as far as I had hoped to be, but <laughs> never, never will be. It's never quite as much as you hope to get done. Oh, but uh, these things kind of go in spurts. If in my rap sheet is any sort of evidence, mm-hmm. uh, if there's the inspiration for the project, you tackle it, you get a bunch done and you're like, wow, how did that happen? I didn't even really <laughs> think about it. It just, just came together. Then all of a sudden life hits the brakes. And it, just when you, the going was getting good, and then you got to put things on the back burner. You don't really want on the back burner. Yeah, absolutely. I feel for you, Mark. Yeah, that's, it's something where I'm, I'm getting a lot done on it. I'm really excited for the episodes that are coming up. And then I've been doing some editing help on a couple of other podcasts. Really? Yeah, I did some editing help for the first couple of episodes for Dave Whisks's Airplane Mode podcast. It's about him and Joe Chplinski, uh starting a band. So I helped them produce like the pilot and the second episode for that, doing a little bit of cleanup on a couple of smaller shows. And then I helped do some tech advising for podcasts that actually just launched today. And that's called Bandwagon. It has a Kickstarter, which people should totally help fund that show because it's great being made by a very talented friend of mine, Josh Schwartz. So I'll put a, I'll send a link of that to you guys. But what's the theme for Bandwagon? So the the tagline for the show is a podcast about being a part of something larger than yourself. The idea of it is to be a seasonal podcast, uh, and each season focus on a different type of bandwagon. Where um, whether that's a sports team uh, that was in, like in a town that is no good but is trying to change the hearts and mind of a town a band on tour trying to make it big. And for this first season, uh, it's looking at a political campaign that captures America's attention, which is the Bernie Sanders campaign, but not really looking at it from a political perspective, Hmm. more looking at the stories of the various people helping this grassroots movement. um, And what are those people like? What are they doing? And 
So the the first episode of that is up. I like the idea. It reminds yeah. me of a Gimlet Media project. It sounds like their kind of show. Absolutely, absolutely. Maybe maybe then uh, maybe they'll be interested in acquiring it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, <laughs> they knows? could cover the story of Bandwagon on Startup. How about that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's getting real meta there. <laughs> yes. Well, and then there was this episode about it and we mentioned it in the show notes and links. So yeah, it's getting, it's turning into all kinds of harried meta inception across podcasts. Now, and now all things considered, yeah, sorry, oops, that's a podcast too. Um, <laughs> Uh, anything else that you're considering down the road? I was imagining that while you weren't accomplishing new Welcome to Macintosh full featured episodes, that you were you were kind of like itching to create some other kind of show. Perhaps you had an idea that you were incubating. I, I found this problem for myself. Let me explain. When I have a brilliant idea and then I have to put it on the shelf temporarily, it's usually when then that I have some other great idea that I want to pursue. Have you considered other shows or is Welcome to Macintosh your singular focus? Welcome to Macintosh is going to be like, I think that'll be my main focus. Excellent. I've got a few other things that I'm looking to be like a part of and help out with various projects like helping advise for technology for Bandwagon, helping uh, to do some editorial stuff for couple of other projects that are coming up but then they're still not fully formed but there's some stuff having to do with like uh college radio stations and college radio producers wanting to make sort of narrative literary journalism the same sort of style as this american life the what i'm attempting to do with welcome to macintosh when covering apple mm. um, those types of story audio storytelling but there's not a whole lot of that going on in a lot of at a lot of college radio stations, partially because there aren't the resources for it. There aren't enough people at most schools to really support each other and make all of that happen. Right. So one of the things that I'm working on with uh, some other people is trying to help connect a lot of these smaller groups of independent student producers together to try and make something a little bit larger than any of us could accomplish on our own. So excellent. Wow. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes, but I'm very hopeful for that. So yeah, it sounds like an uphill climb and it, it brings to mind sort of the tug of war that people have for and against podcast networks. Mm -hmm. I felt like they've done mostly a world of good when the right people were a part of the team. You really have to look at the team and evaluate the, the quality of their work more so than the quality of the idea of a podcast network. In recent days, people have questioned, do we really need a network? And I, th I think that that's the wrong question to be asking. What we really need is stronger communities, people who mm -hmm. are working together because they they just work well together, right? You Absolutely. Know? And, and if you want to call that a network, a community, or something else. Collective. As long as you get the job done. Sure, yeah. Like the the herd, like what they're doing is kind of like a network, but it's a very collaborative process where it's then six shows where they all lend editing, script help, uh, some advising to each other, and just generally like these independently produced shows where it's, some of the hardest stuff to do is like when you have a draft of something and you just like you need someone to t you know that there's so much wrong with it you know it's not working but you just need someone else to take a look at it and be oh, like yes. okay fix this this isn't working cut that it's like oh now that you've pointed these things i can like do a whole new version of this and it's just having other people to bounce ideas off of is huge and so things like that i think that's a very interesting and I, I think it's a great idea for how a network should work, at least at least in the the more narrative focused things for for being having a lot of scripting, for having a lot of prep work that goes into producing every single episode. So okay. Well, we'll go ahead and move on with our our first topic for the day. Sure I wanted thing. to have you back, Mark, when we were going to talk about Apple News and technology news coverage. Mm -hmm. Because this is something that is related to the themes of your podcast, Welcome to Macintosh. Yeah. <laughs> You've done an excellent job not only exploring the history of technology and basically covering stories that practically nobody knew about, no one knew to go looking for. But in the process you've unearthed some of the complications that journalism has faced 
while trying to cover technology uh, effectively. Mm-hmm. And the, the, I'm especially thinking about your episodes that have pertained to Macworld, mm-hmm. uh, Jason Snell's experience over there. It saddens me because I, I really enjoyed the magazine back in the day. And in more recent years, we had the sensational feature at our disposal of RSS feeds. We could use those with, with websites and basically get all the headlines and stop visiting websites and stop supporting the magazines. One thing leads to another, you got podcasts and maybe you, you're, you're just, your life is so busy, you don't have the time to stop and read a magazine. Mm-hmm. And by the time you get it, it's old news. That was the problem for me. And that was why when I, when Macworld's magazine ended, I didn't feel like we were really losing anything at the end because all the last issues, it felt like all the information in them were just old news. Mm-hmm. Everything that had been explored in the magazine was already covered at Macworld.com a month ago. Mm-hmm. And then there was, you know just more and more journalists out there. You have Gizmodo, you have TechCrunch, you have Ars Technica, you have iMore, and and so many more. You have all these brilliant uh, bloggers that are covering the news now. Mm -hmm. And it's so much faster than the media could possibly keep up with. Uh, So in this day and age, where are y'all guys, where are we getting our technology news now? So it's been a few years since the the dust has settled where magazines have gone by and by. And now, you know, it looks like even in our modern life, we're moving too fast for RSS feeds. So what do we do now? Have we just reduced all of our news aggregation to Twitter? What do we do? And Twitter is certainly a big part of it. I um, For me, it's something where it's a collection of a lot of the, the things that I read most, most consistently, like, Link blogs like Daring Fireball, then uh, The Loop, Kotkey.org, uh, Marco's site, things things like that. There will sometimes be commentary. I mean, often commentary on all of the links and the occasional longer essay, but something where that'll point me to new sources and sometimes I'll follow those for a little bit or know that they're covering certain issues or topics very well. Those are the things that are most consistently followed. It'll also be things like Six Colors, uh, Mac Stories. I'm just scrolling through my RSS reader right now. but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What are you using for your reader? On the desktop, I use Reader 3. It's in beta. I am too. Yeah. And then on the phone, I'm using Unread. Okay. And what is under the hood? Are you using FeedBurner? I'm using Feed Wrangler. All right. I'm using a, uh, a lesser known one called Minimal Reader. Uh, when I happened across them, I really enjoyed their simplistic design for their website. And you could get to all of the feeds there. You could manage your folders. And it's not got as many of the features as Feed Wrangler. And it's okay. I, I use it very simply. You know, I, I maintain maybe 12 or so different RSS feeds in different folders for technology and design and a few other topics that interest me from time to time. But the majority of my time... I'm sitting in the technology folder folder because like you, I just, I'm just capturing the headlines as I go by in unread or on reader for the Mac. And we mentioned these, these apps, if you're still interested in RSS and you haven't got on the bandwagon yet, we're going to have links to these in the show notes. I, I think that RSS is still relevant. The difficulty is that not all the websites will consistently use them. So different journalist writers departments have decided that maybe they want RSS feeds for all of their categories and then a master RSS feed. But those days are mostly gone. Like these days, you're lucky if you can find an RSS feed for all things of a single website. And I remember it was maybe a year ago or more that on the Mac Power users, they described a a service you can use called Yahoo Pipes to filter out the content you don't want from an RSS feed and just get the stuff that you like. And that will help you if you have difficulty combining the articles that you want from your various sources into um, feeds that are actually usable, readable, not causing a bunch of redundancy. Mm-hmm. I just never explored that. Have either of you guys? Not not a whole lot. <laughs> Is it too involved? You just really, you're satisfied with getting the main feeds and uh, swiping through and scrolling and capturing some headlines? I don't follow too many sites uh, 
for their their fire hose sort of thing than just because there would be way too much coming and that's why a lot of what i follow is more filtered already link blogs and then some sites that don't publish a whole lot uh it's something where i i just don't have the time to go through every single headline for most of these things right i'm kind of the, the same here i mean i've got my my RSS, you know, all set up and I just find myself just not even checking it that often because I just have so much information just from random sources that I've got saved to my pocket. And I just, I know I've got so much information that I haven't read in my pocket. It's like, I don't necessarily need to continue to look for more sources of stuff that I have. I can't read if that makes any sense. I'm just inundated from the various places. Uh, and I, I really don't even have a, a systematic way to, get that information. There's just so much information out there. Mm. That's kind of where I'm at. What I ended up doing in the last year or so is spending less and less time in the RSS feed, though I do have it still down on my dock. I use unread two or three times a day. And I don't get to the reader on the Mac very often, but when I do, it's very refreshing because it's easier to manage content that I would like to do something with later. Save it to notes, save it to Instapaper, or quickly link to it on a website. The difficulty, though, is it's falling into the same hairy mess where calendaring and scheduling and project management falls into. It becomes something of a chore. You have to set aside time for it every day, make sure it gets done if you're going to get any benefit from it. And some days it's only going to take you five minutes to operate your schedule or to read all of your RSS. And other days it's going to absorb more than an hour. So some days you're better off if you just avoid it altogether. I, but that being said, I, I still reach out to people on Twitter. I, I pay attention a lot to what the journalists have to say on Twitter. And if a story blows up, that's where I'm capturing it most of the time. And I check in on iMore. It's the homepage on Google Chrome for me. And I use Safari half of the time and Google Chrome the other half. And so I'll be in iMore uh, seeing the headlines, and that helps a lot. Really like how they write up stories there. It's, it's pretty consistent, and they cover a wide range of the different topics that may concern Apple and technology today. And then every now and then I'll, I'll poke in over at TechCrunch and the like. It's just I don't make the point to really scrutinize where I'm getting the links and the information. I, I care more about the story and secondarily the writer of the story than I do the news source. So I'm not looking at, well, was this from Macworld or was this from Six Colors? I'm looking at what is the relevance of the topic at hand. And if it catches my eye, I'll stop and take time to enjoy it. Then also I'll have uh, not a ton, but a, a couple of other podcasts that are generally discussing that week's news, which is a good roundup to, and usually we'll cover the most interesting or important things that are happening that week. That's a good point. So that's things like ATP or the talk show tend to be pretty good wrap ups of what is happening right now especially atp then that's pretty much like review the latest news as usually the the format of that so it's it's a good way to make sure that i'm not missing anything big and they'll usually give the cliff notes on anything that might have slipped through the cracks so that's a, a good one so tangentially related to this because we are talking about technology journalism between the three of us, I think we spend most of our time mostly interested in what Apple is up to. Would that be true for you, Mark? Um, my time is in terms of what I what I follow. I follow Apple, and then I spend a lot of time just following generally the media, radio, podcast world. It's something where I have my head a little bit in in both worlds. Right, but you're not additionally especially interested and engrossed with the happenings of Google and Microsoft and what they're doing for Flickr and Yahoo and beyond at Tesla. No, no, it's it's definitely in the tech world I am fairly focused on Apple. I do try and keep up on like what are the big things that are happening with uh, other tech companies like reading like the New York Times profile on Amazon and uh <laughs> how it might not be the best place to work. Uh, things <laughs> yeah. like, maybe, just maybe not. Might not be in the top top three, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know though. If they're acquired by Alphabet, I think it'd be number one on the uh, alphabetical list. Unfortunately, <laughs> so no, no, Al Alphabet's going to beat them. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the play. <laughs> Very smart. Go to work for Alphabet. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, I I definitely am 
much more focused on Apple than I am on most other tech companies. And that's not a bad thing. I think that it's it makes a lot of sense in this moment of history because we got uh, Apple at the top of the technology food chain. Mm-hmm. They're not exclusively developing brilliant, interesting technologies, but they're certainly the most profitable at it right now. They're affecting the culture at large. They're changing how people like people look at this the metrics of what does and does not work for Apple. And then they go and respond to it with their companies and they develop products how they see fit. Samsung. <laughs> it, it just seems like in this day and age, it makes a lot of sense to follow Apple's culture because that is where a lot of the the more interesting events are happening. Now, Joshua, how do you feel about this? Would you say that you're more technology center agnostic you're more <laughs> open-minded to the broader scope of things well you know it's interesting i i uh, for the probably for the past nearly 10 years i've been pretty exclusively an apple guy i've got to use windows at work i think i've mentioned many times and in, in complaining uh, on the podcast here <laughs> I, I will occasionally you know go to best buy just to kind of walk around to get a feel of the, the broader technology culture and, and i was just there uh, i guess it was earlier this week. And it was amazing to see how many wearable pieces of junk are out there from all sorts of different companies, all trying to look like an Apple watch or do something similar, you know, and I, I play with them and they just all looked just really bad. And I guess for a broader history or context, I still have yet to see in person an Apple watch. Wow. They have not come to my region yet. I cannot find them without having to drive two hours. I, I'm like in uh, hillbilly hell, I guess. <laughs> but so, so I went, you know, I went to uh, Best Buy hoping like maybe, maybe they've got one now. Maybe it's August, but no, they, all of the competitor, I mean, I'm talking probably 20 at least. I should have counted uh, different knockoffs. But, but no Apple Watch. And, and I'm sure they were there before. But really, I mean, Apple is clearly in the lead uh, with numbers, clearly in the lead with, with uh, stories about wearables and that sort of thing. And of course, the media is saying it's a failure and this and that. But it's like it's, it's not even made it to my region yet. Like I still have yet to see one, you know, <laughs> which is kind of crazy to think that there, there are still places in the U.S. that you can't buy one. You can't walk in and buy one within two hours. You can see it on the website. Didn't you read about it on iMore? Isn't that enough? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. But I mean, it's just kind of, I mean, it's, it's like I'm living in, you know, some third world country or something. It's just, but no, this is the United States and, and they, they, it, it still hasn't made it. Right. And you're only two hours away from the nearest Apple store. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it just kind of uh, blows my mind. But yeah, I, I'm also interested a little bit, you know, I'm keeping my eye on uh, Windows 10. As a, my family's growing, the kids are getting older. They're using computers more and more, and you know, and and my eight year old's starting to complain about the RAM, you know. And I'm like, wait a second, you know, I've got you're eight. Why are you complaining about RAM? If you only <laughs> knew how much RAM I had when I was your age, <laughs> you know. And and bottom line is, there's not a really cheap way to buy a bunch of Macs. I mean, the you know, the very low end is four ninety nine. So I, I'm starting to wonder, should I? Should I look into some sort of low-end PC? I don't know. I, I I must confess I'm I'm a little tempted with with Windows 10 because it looks so much like OS 10, <laughs> which is kind of funny. They 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 went with the 10 and now they're claiming they're going to stay there with 10. They're not going to rename it after that. Hmm. Maybe just as Apple, <laughs> yeah. maybe just as Apple leaves that, they're going to go to 11 now. But anyways, <laughs> but I wouldn't put it past Tim Cook's Apple to drop the version number entirely. He could just say it's called Mac OS Yosemite, Mac OS El Capitan. Yeah, you know, Phil Schiller, I think when he was talking to John Gruber. At the talk show live, yeah. Yeah, he alluded to that there would be some name changes. It's going to make sense. <laughs> yeah, there was Watch OS, iOS. But then Windows would just... Windows would just be Windows OS. I guarantee they would just drop the 10 at that point. It would be Windows OS. <laughs> and this isn't to say uh, that we're uninterested in what Microsoft is up to and the Windows 10. Like you just said, you would actually seriously use one of those uh, given the right opportunity and if it met your needs at the right price point. Right. So it, 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 these are interesting shifting times. Yeah. We had a listener who poked a little fun at us. He was saying, why don't you call yourselves Apple Tonic? It doesn't make sense you called yourselves Tectonic. You don't, all you do is cover Apple. And that's not true. We've talked about other things. Come on. At least once. We've got 20 <laughs> episodes, 19 episodes behind us. Sure, you'll find an episode without a mention of Apple. 
But it's true. I've used Apple computers all my life. Mark, I know you didn't, but they're pretty significant to you now. And same is true for you, Joshua. Mm-hmm. And in the spirit of welcome to Macintosh, but lesser so, to kind of like <laughs> reflect on the history of Apple and see what mattered to us throughout the years. There, there have been many a, a podcast that went back and talked about the good old days using Macintosh in 1984 and 85 and beyond. And those clicky keyboards that people were using in the 80s from Mexico, they were the best, yada, yada, yada. I actually appreciate a lot of this history involving Apple because I think that it's easy to miss the forest through the trees. That Apple was actually there at the beginning with personal computers. Why isn't that interesting? Why do we have to make a case for why we should and would be talking about Apple so much? These guys have consistently designed very interesting stuff that I want to use on a regular basis for decades now. In my case, I was thinking about um, Apple computers back in the 90s because that was the time when Apple seemed to be this uh, sort of lost company looking in the wilderness for a leader and, and for a reason to exist and was losing it because they wanted to be the Apple of the past and some like vision of Apple in the future and they didn't know what that looked like. There were the good days and the bad days from era to era. I think I've distilled it down to these guys. Tell me what you think. Without overly simplifying the different time periods of Apple, here is like a list of why I find every moment of Apple history especially interesting and unique. At the beginning, it was just two guys that were cobbling together wooden boxes with circuitry inside of them in their dad's garage. I mean, like, Why isn't that interesting? And the fact that they made a lot of money doing it against all odds, like that's, that's just an inherently an interesting story. And then you find out that the two guys, their name's Steve and Steve, and they have certainly very different divergent opinions on how to manage their business and what kind of products they want to develop and what inspires them. As it turns out, the developer type of the two Steve's essentially invented the personal computer then that sets the course for the computers as we know them from that moment on to the present. And then in the mid-80s, you have the difficult history of Apple where they were a band of pirates, rogue leaders. They were trying to represent counterculture in technology. And for better or worse, Steve Jobs becomes too difficult for Apple to manage and their empire starts to crumble. They have many projects that are not especially successful. They had the Apple III. They had um, an interesting endeavor with the original Macintosh that made one of the best marketing splashes of all history. But that didn't matter too much when uh, the Macintosh didn't have many significant useful programs from third-party developers. It just wasn't enough to have a beautiful machine with a beautiful operating system when it didn't have enough that you could do with the thing because developers were wary of supporting or or making their apps available on the platform. No app store. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Should have thought of that. (laughs) And it was also during the dark days at Apple in 1991 that they introduced the first notebook computer from Apple corporate. That was when uh, they have the first generation of the power books I, I I don't think that I was aware of them at the time. Were y'all even aware of Macintoshes at all back in the early 90s? Well, I wasn't. <laughs> I had an old uh, a hand-me-down around 95. It was a uh, all-in-one Mac of some sort. I can't remember the exact model. I can't. It, it was maybe like a little four or five-inch screen, it seemed like. It, it might have been early 90s because I got it around 95, and I played with it for a little bit, and then... Uh, you know, I was like 15. So like, what do you do when you're 15? Well, I want some games. So I went to the store and like, there were, there was like no new games I could buy. So I went ahead and bought a PC at the time. So yeah, that was my, my downfall from 1995 to about 2005. It was a, a dark era for my personal computing. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. That's where all my friends were back in the nineties. They were using their PC computers and showing off the cool games they had. They, <laughs> they had doom and oh yeah, that was fun stuff. Yeah, good times for all you guys. While I was using Claris Works, clunking away on a, a performa, and the, the, all the fun I had was essentially goofing off in a paint program. I guess that's the beginnings of my career. I shouldn't complain too much. 
it was the beginning of my career because it, it got me interested in solving technical problems, which kind of just made me naturally flow into engineering. So if I would have had a Mac, everything would have just worked. And then I don't know what I'd be doing now. <laughs> Walmart, maybe. I don't know. Now, you know, as, as early as the late 80s, a lot of the creative studios were using Apple computers. They were used a lot for desktop publishing. Then in the 90s, people started using them for more and more creative pursuits. So, Mark, did you ever take an interest in what could be done with professional tools from, say, Adobe in the 90s at all? Or were you still distantly removed from, like, the audio work at the time? I mean, like, I know you were young, but were you taking an interest in these things early on? When, so I think my first Mac, I got, my family got it in around 2004 or 2005. It was a hand-me-down. It was kind of old, but I remember uh, messing around a lot on Apple Works, like descendant of Claris Works. Yeah. And, yeah. Then uh, It didn't last very long. It, I don't know how long it lasted, but I, it was what I was using for very long time. <laughs> it was we we had a computer that was dated, and I guess this was what this is what ran on it. That was something which uh, I remember doing lots of drawings on that, and lots of like a lot of my school assignments and things like that, and having tons of fun. Which I and that was the most advanced that I was getting for a while, messing around with GarageBand. I remember when that came out, but. Um, I had no real musical knowledge, so it was it sounded terrible. But <laughs> it was uh, GarageBand was something that like it was absolutely just a thrill to have. Suddenly, you can hit buttons, and suddenly these sounds will come out, and you can. I found some of those that I that my friends and I had made uh, recently, and oh man, they were <laughs> they were truly dreadful. But uh, we thought we were just the coolest so <laughs> oh you, you want to hear something that sounds sad back in the early 90s before i was 10 years old we we discovered that you could go into system preferences and go to where you could make the uh, sound effects for you know susumi and others like uh the, the uh, tapping glass sound effects that would happen when you got alerts on the mac and made an error or got an error message or something like that. And in those days, you could have beeps and boops going on from anything that the Mac would do when it would pop up a message that it wanted you to respond to with OK or enter or save or undo, delete, etc. And we discovered that you could record your own. We wasted so many hours recording our own notification sound effects. And because there was like a, a a twenty or thirty second limit on it, so we we would just make up like acapella beeps and boops, and let it go and go and go. So every time our computer would pop up a message, that would have to play before the the notification would completely load and let you read the thing. Yeah, it'd have to play the twenty second long ridiculous notification sound. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's what we were doing. <gasps> that's fantastic, though. Yeah, like uh, it's one of those things where it's. It's so much fun to make something like that, and then as soon as as soon as it actually comes up the first time in use, you realize that it, you've you've made a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, see, and that was a different era for Apple before I think Johnny Ive and a lot of the other designers in more recent times had a significant influence on what Apple was doing mm -hmm. smartly with their design sensibilities. And that was you said early '90s. Then uh, that would have been the clone era. Uh, yes, so that's it was where it's it's a lot of things were totally out of their hands, and that's off the wall. Yeah, and there's one of my just favorite like things from the archives of Apple history. Here it is. The, this video. <laughs> what is you, this? Have you have you seen this? No. Oh wait, you ha you'll I have think to you put a, a play a, play now? a clip of this in the in the show. So it's it's called I think we're a clone now. Isn't it strange? We used to own the whole Mac market. What would Scully say if only he knew that we were licensing as fast as we can, flying off to Taiwan and Japan. Showing them how to build a Mac copy Then we sell them all our hardware and our ROMs and System 7 And I say, I think we're a clone now There's always Michael Dell just a hanging around I 
the parody, very similar to what Weird Al did, a parody of uh, I Think We're Alone Now, um, the, the 90s song. And it is so hilarious, painfully nerdy and wonderful. And like, it's really good. <laughs> it, I, I feel like that. I don't know how I can really capture it in words, but this is the fact that this exists is one of my favorite things on YouTube. So, well, did you ever see the Apple TV commercial spot where they had uh, like an, an office flooded from water out of a marsh, and alligators started eating the like the people's desks, destroying their their hardware, and the personnel had to leap up on their desk to survive. Oh, no. This was a real Apple marketing commercial. The difficulty of managing a business today is that when you're up to your drawers in day-to-day problems, you can lose sight of your original intention. And if you're busy enough trying to be a business expert, you've hardly got the time to become a computer expert. Apple Macintosh is a computer system that gets straight down to business. So in no time at all, you can assess the number of alligators, analyze the market prices for skins, create a new range of handbags, shoes, and wallets, print plans for draining the swamp and have the whole project completed in enough time to do some really long-range thinking. Uh, this what, is what, what, was the, what was the, what was supposed what was the idea behind that? Like if they had Max, then the office <laughs> wouldn't have flooded. <laughs> the alligator <laughs> Well of course. The alligators would be too entranced by the magical Apple computers. Exactly. <laughs> See the, the, the dam up the up the river was run on a Microsoft computer. Ah, okay. Which froze blue screen flood. Makes sense. <laughs> oh wow. Oh, man. <laughs> well, all that to say, then we got Johnny Ive. And he introduced the the colorful, very delicious looking IMAX in the late '90s with Steve Jobs' help, and it was the greatest thing. You were using Max in uh, 2004 or so. Wh- which model did you have? Uh, we had a, a Power Mac. Uh, I want to say it was a Power Mac G3. Okay, at that time, those were colorful too. Yeah, yeah. So those, it's a it was a bright, beautiful machine. I have one of those <laughs> sitting right over here right now. I'm looking at it. It's the biggest paperweight in my office. <laughs> but it's a really pretty paperweight. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I can't use the thing, but yeah. All of that was just a good time for Apple where it seemed like they were they had their creative juices on just doing novel things, which ultimately led to the iPod. It, it, you kind of easily forget, because that was like almost 15 years ago now, that the iPod came out two years before they, they released iTunes. Where would you get all your music? Wait, is that is that true? Yes, it is. What? So the iPod came out in like 2003 or and then the iTunes came out 2 years later. I think iTunes launched uh alongside the iPod, but the iTunes Music Store was not around until 2003. Oh. Cuz SoundJam, SoundJam MP, they acquired that and turned that into iTunes and launched it alongside the iPod because I know that they had some way of syncing with the thing there had there had to be some way of loading it on thank you sorry guys yeah you're right that is a crucial little detail the itunes uh store came out much later and it's hard to imagine just how would you buy more music and how would apple make any money without the itunes store <laughs> like in, the, in that era remember the ipod wasn't cheap came at like 600 dollars at the time and that was just for a, a device that would play back your music and then as time goes by it, it seemed like Apple just had Macs and iPods. It was only about five or six years, though, um, before we ended up with the iPhone. Up to that time, guys, there was a unique factor about personal computers in that they were mostly about desktops and notebook computers. And there's often been debated this um, concept about revolutionary new technologies where you got to meet a threshold before it becomes part of the greater uh, worldwide culture, that something is n- uh, nerdy and niche and part of a subculture until it meets a certain threshold. Um, for a case of point, like podcasts, you're listening to this. When did podcasts get started? Well, they got started years ago, but it seems like only recently that the rest of the world figured that out, that podcasts are around and that they are available. We've met that threshold for podcasts where now they're co- a part of the common culture. They're part of the common consciousness. What do y'all think? I know computers were always around and influential, 
but it doesn't feel like computers came into their own where everybody would at some time in their life expect to have a computer at their disposal until you got to the iPhone. And things changed because the expectation was you would always have this computer on you at all times. It's one of those things where it's crazy to think about how having these things, like having a computer with you at all times, how like how big of a shift that is, like just how much that changes things. Then how how much someone cares about the internet, uh, then like when suddenly when you have constant access to it, when it is always with you, it suddenly feels that much more vital to everybody, not just the all of us nerds. Then it's it's something where you care much more about and you learn to rely upon all of these things. And I, it's and it's something where like yeah, people like think of it as a phone and as, uh, as it as a different thing from a personal computer, but like. It, it just is a, it's a more personal computer. That's all it is. Like it is the computer that is always with you. Uh, the same way the best, <laughs> the best camera is the one you have with you. The same goes for the computer. So uh, I, I think that, you know, one of the, the biggest shifts, I guess, as far as answering the question of when did, I guess, these become, you know, computers become so relevant to people's life, I think really was probably about 10 years ago when, it, when really Wi-Fi picked up high-speed internet with Wi-Fi starting to pop up different places. You know, that's when you really started to see lots of laptops at coffee shops and things like that. Not that it wasn't there before, but I think when when Wi-Fi became a standard, which was, I guess, around the turn, turn of the century, but it, it really wasn't very good or very uh, ubiquitous. But some, sometime around 2005 or six, at least that's when I started to kind of recognize it, you know, um, Got got myself a laptop, and so I, you know, uh, used that a lot of different places. But but definitely in 07 with the with the iPhone, I mean, it changed my life. Of course, how I access information, how I communicate with people. And these days, a more recent statistical research was saying. I just read that the other day that 61 percent or more of Americans now have a smartphone of some kind, probably an Android or an iPhone, and. Uh, if you think about that number, that's tremendous. That's more people than there are people who have or households that you know have like a hammer and a Phillips head screwdriver. I mean, just that—that's a, a high number. It's it's pretty insane. So with all all of this, all of this to say, the things over the years that interest me most about Apple and why I like to think about them so much is you know the history of the personal computer. You know. That is just something that has always been intriguing. If you look at different eras when they were they were developing new models and you can see how they were exploring different approaches and saw what worked and what didn't, a machine would get too hot. And so the, the, it was recommended to solve the problem with overheating because it didn't have a built-in fan. Pick up the thing and drop it six inches off the ground and that would uh, help it cool down or something like that. And you know, it was, it was flaws like that that eventually led to the quality of the craftsmanship we have today with these machines. And that's the other thing. Like Apple has always been very tasteful about their design style. And that's one of the other reasons I love them so much. That they have Johnny Ive. He's one of my favorite designers. I think that his tastes match my own. Though I, I don't have uh, the same taste in cars, I have more of the same tastes in computers. And Apple has always been involved in the creative community. They helped along Adobe in the early days when they were developing Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign. And they eventually, you know, developed their own creative suites with like Cut Pro. And you could make your own films with them. Motion pictures, major motion pictures were produced on Mac computers in the last 15 years. Many were. So I just, I find it kind of ridiculous that I'm still treated like a fanboy because I think we're, we're far beyond that now at this point. It's something where it's not just because it has the, the Apple sticker on it, like putting the Apple logo on it doesn't make it inherently better. Yeah. It's just liking nice things like caring about how well is something designed? How well is it made? How does it work all of the time? Is it going to be easy to figure out how to use it? And like, in a lot of situations, Apple has done the best. And it's it's one of those things where it's worth constantly being willing to reevaluate that and be willing to like consider, oh, is I mean, either Android or Windows or 
any like other platforms or on the for TVs or other wearable devices now other so all of these things like what actually is the best what is like what is going to fill my needs the most and for the most part it's been apple stuff that's <laughs> there i have a lot of apple hardware but it's not so much of just a brand attachment to that all go for anything that they make yeah if i am convinced that android phones become the best devices on the market and i see a bright future ahead of them for the many years to come then i would honestly consider making a move making the switch but right now i just see that the culmination of all the many products that i'm able to use the apps the the music apps that i have the podcast apps that i have the services i get from apple support the apple care how they treat me and all in all, what you can do with the phone on a, a good Apple iPhone these days, it's just a, a great, well-rounded product that serves anything that I would want to do from day to day, whether taking pictures or simply interacting with friends on Twitter. I've always hated the uh, the whole fanboy uh, uh, <laughs> uh, critique, you know, and I, I, I definitely don't consider myself that because I think I readily criticize apple when they do something wrong or when i don't like a certain feature or when i think that they've you know fallen down so and and you know as apple has gotten bigger and bigger in the last few years i've not actually heard that as much it was probably like 10 years ago you know five to 10 years ago i heard it a lot more than i do now so maybe that that whole thing is going away yeah, I think the attention is off of the fanboyism and more on Apple and whether or not they're doomed. Yeah, because all the people that used to criticize me for being a fanboy now have Macs and iPhones. So it's it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, it's you were all fanboys until I got an Apple product. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Everything changed with Welcome to Macintosh. We know that. <laughs> so what are y'all's thoughts about the future Apple? Because these days, there's a lot of speculation about the success or failure of iPads. It looks like iPods have been relegated to the dustbin. You know, they're, they're not taking a significant role in their brand or the stores. And you know, the other day I went into Apple to try and get some help with a good set of headphones, and nobody in the store could tell me anything about their headphones that they had for sale. Even the Beats, you know, the Beats music headphones. Like, why is it that they weren't really? Uh, you know, like familiar with that product line? I don't know. Like that, that was disconcerting to me. Their their attention is divided in so many ways that it's difficult for the group of the Apple personnel to keep uh, expert knowledge base up to snuff on all these things all the time. Mm-hmm. And and so now to, uh, to add complexity to the mix, it sounds like Apple is doing research on self driving cars. <laughs> For one thing, for the for knowledge about headphones, I know that for many years, recommendations from Apple Store employees on headphones have been spotty at best, by my judgment. But well, now you tell me <laughs> <laughs> the ones that they the ones that they stock to begin with are it could be a much better selection, especially now that it skews much more towards just the Beats and having them in fancy colors. Uh, but <laughs> where yeah. it's it's something which. Um, We've mostly moved beyond like the media narrative of then Apple is doomed now that Steve is gone, which like I can understand many reasons why that would be an attractive thing to focus on where Steve Jobs, his life was followed the arc of like the most classic timeless story where it's the sort of the the hero's journey where it's going and you try something, you you go to face uh, a challenge, you fail, you're sent off into exile and you have to you train, you you improve, you come back and you succeed and then then you die a hero sort of thing. Like that's <laughs> so like it follows this classic story arc where it's so much more interesting for a journalist to be covering something like that where there is a clear story. It's there's more for you to see in that, I guess. Um whereas Tim Cook like we know a decent amount about him, but like he seems like a really genuinely nice guy. He's very calm. He's comparatively very uninteresting as a media subject where like Steve is just so much more exciting to look at. And at the end of the hero's journey, then it's going to fall apart. Like, no, it didn't. It's, <laughs> it's a different style, but we've moved past that now. 
Yeah, it was brought to my attention that at one of the events, Apple events, that Steve Jobs actually kind of danced to a little bit of music they played in a presentation. <laughs> Indeed. We all know how odd it felt when Eddie Cook danced this past year on stage when talking about Apple Music, and everyone criticized it. It just didn't work for anyone. You mean Eddie Q? Did I say something else? Eddie Cook. Eddie Cook. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Eddie Q. Yeah, when Eddie Q danced. But uh, Steve just uh, pulled it off somehow in a way that Eddie Q could never do. <laughs> and see, if you watch that clip, uh, it's the Antenna Gate conference. It just, it looks more natural <laughs> sure. to, to see Steve dancing, if that makes sense. I don't imagine that that little dance back onto the stage was so much planned because so little of it actually is visible in any of the videos then i think it was just like he was jamming out to the song and getting and had to get back on stage whereas eddie i have to assume there's like a like in the cue cards there was a <laughs> there was a thing saying <laughs> dance do a little dance and it's like that's that's never going to work out like it's, right. it's going to be painful <laughs> well that that's our explanation for why we take an interest in apple technology <laughs> there's nothing against all the rest guys if you have a topic you'd like to share with us, feel free to email us anytime. We'll do some research. We'll cover the topics. We'll get some new guests uh, to talk about things in their areas of expertise. Just let us know. You know, and I wanted a name for this podcast that was not did not include Mac and Apple because I didn't want to make it exclusive. <laughs> Down the road, there may be a sea change, and if the you know tectonic is still around i don't know if it will or will not be but if uh, tectonic is still around i'd like to think that we're not going to limit ourselves so i wanted to have a name that could stick around any other thoughts guys for this episode i think we're ready to wrap it up i'm gonna go uh mix myself an apple and tonic <laughs> excellent you do that is that a thing it's gonna be now it's gonna be the the drink of the show that's what we're gonna have every episode thank you mark so much for joining us again where can people find you online uh, you can find me on Twitter at MC Bramhill, uh, and you can find the podcast, Welcome to Macintosh, at macintosh.fm. Okay, and links to those will be in the show notes. This ends episode 20 of the Tectonic Podcast. Thanks for joining us. You can find the website's URL for this episode at tectonic.fm slash 20 for all the show notes and links if you don't already have them. If you want to connect with us, we are at tectonic.fm on Twitter, and you can send your feedback via email to hello at tectonic.fm. If you want to catch up with me, I'm underscore Joe Darnell on Twitter, and my co-host is Joshua Pfeiffer, and that's who he is on Twitter. If you want to help us out, give us your star rating and leave us a review on iTunes because that helps other people find the show and enjoy it as well as you do. I'm Joe Darnell, and you've been listening to the Tectonic Podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>